takes two to be funny. My name is Matthew Kroll. And equality seems so pleasant. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Wait, no, and this is, I did practice this a second oh, before our it? guest can attest to this, so I'm going to say it in French. Portrait de... Ah! Nope. <laughs> okay, okay, no, no, keep that That's in. we go. remember. Okay, okay st- st- strike one. Portrait de la jeune fille en feu. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, look at me. Check me out. Izzy, was that good? Yeah, that was great. Was it? <laughs> so, a French person would understand that. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, Izzy from Be Kind Rewind has graced us with her presence. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much. I feel so lucky that we got to have you back basically within like a month or so. Yes. It's oh, been yeah. very, it's very uh, quick turnaround for your guests. Normally guests come on once and are like, and we're like, never doing this We need again. six months before no, we have on. to do this. Come on, talking with you guys is great. Uh, well, I would love to. Thank you so much for coming back. You've just released a video on uh, on your YouTube page about Jessica Lang. I did. Which yeah. I was very excited yes. about because I have not watched American Horror Story. So I'm missing Ooh. out on the Lang Assassins, I guess. Lang Assassins. Sure, Lang Assassins. Yeah. Lang Assassins. Yeah, yeah. What, tell, us, tell us about well, why Jessica Lang. Like, what was interesting to you about Jessica Lang? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, at this point, I'm basically just like randomly picking ones. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I can't say that there was any specific science behind right. why I chose it. Yeah. Um, but I have to say this was one that was kind of surprising for me. I've always really liked Jessica Lange, but like sort of passively. Um, but rewatching her filmography in order was so amazing to me. I just gained a whole new respect for her that I... Um, not that I didn't have respect for her before, but it just became um, so much more full, I guess. I mean, the ones, I mean, like when I think of Jessica Lang, I think of fried green tomatoes. She was, was, she she was in, not in that. She was, yeah, I was oh, I'm thinking of Tandy? I'm thinking of Jessica Tandy, aren't I? I, th- I believe so. so yeah. And then Dif- I think of different Cape, people. Okay, then, I think of, <laughs> then the other one I think of is Cape Fear. Yes, Cape uh, Fear. And, and I think of Cape Fear because she was a designer in Cape Fear and she's trying to design an arrow, like a logo or something. And I remember her talking uh, you know, in some detail about what the meaning of a logo is. But then she <laughs> has that weird psychosexual relationship with uh, Robert De Niro in that film as well. It gets yeah. very creepy. I, psychosexual <laughs> relationships are kind, kind of key of, to all of her. A little bit her brand. Yeah, right. a little yeah. bit. Yeah. A little bit. Okay, yeah. and, and what, was the, what was the standout for you when you were watching her work this time? I mean, I think everyone can appreciate Frances. It's probably her biggest, best yeah. performance that there is. But um, I think the kernels of what makes her so great are just so evident in that performance. Right. Um, there's just this element of like living in the character and living in the moment in ways that make just even the most obscure lines feel so impactful <laughs> and memorable um, that I just think everybody should watch. It's like a masterclass for sure. And the comparisons that you make between her career trajectory and Meryl Streep's career trajectory, I think, is something I had never quite considered before mm-hmm. in terms of where they were coming well, from. Well, and at Susan that point. Sarandon, I believe, in the in yeah, as well. Susan yeah, Sarandon, yeah. yeah. Um, I had a, I had a, I had a funny question for you, and uh-huh. I want to see where this goes. If you, because because and this is because I was so interested in the King Kong the 1976 King Kong remake, which I, I admittedly she's playing that role. You know, she's playing the Naomi Watts role. It's the it's the the the, the woman in distress. Technically, role. Naomi Watts is playing her role. Well, that is correct. <laughs> that is correct. Or but, you Faye know, Ray. Or I Faye mean, Ray. We can keep going back and back. <laughs> but it, and back. But it's, just, a, it's, it's a singular like, woman yeah. in distress role that seems fairly unforgiving. Yeah. Um. But but I I was the question I had in mind, which I was like, wh- if you could recast a gender swapped King Kong. Mm-hmm. What? Who would you cast in the Jessica Lange, Faye Ray, <laughs> Naomi Watts position? So I guess it could be male or female. I guess you know like, that's true. It could be male. Or, I guess it's just recasting it. But portrait just, of a gorilla on gor- fire. Portrait yeah. of a gorilla on fire. Um, 
Well, okay, so I, I feel like the value of that, this character is just sort of a stand-in for, like, beauty, right? right? So I think you'd have to go with someone who's kind of, like, like famous for being a little bit attractive. Yeah. But, you know, we want to give them some depth. Yeah, okay, okay, a little bit of depth. So, <laughs> a little bit of depth. Because the, the, they've got to woo the beast, right? Like, yeah. beauty, was it beauty tamed the beast or beauty? Well, it was beauty the line? killed the beast. It was beauty, beauty that killed the beast. Before yeah. that, yeah. there was some taming. Yeah, yeah. Who, who's that type of actor? I mean, maybe in the 90s I would have picked Brad Pitt. Right, right. Yeah. You know, that type of person. Or like like a Zac Efron, people are into him. <laughs> yeah, Zac, Zac Efron, Efron would be, that would be a different type of film, I think. No, they, I think that's entirely, Zac Efron feels entirely oh, up to date. Yeah, with, um, oh, Oh gosh, I wanted to say Water for Elephants. That's not what I'm talking about. Yeah. Hugh Jackman singing about the circus. Barnum, P.T. Oh, Barnum, P. horrible Greatest person. Showman. Greatest showman. Greatest Thank showman. Thank you. Uh, P.T. Barnum was the horrible person, not Hugh Jackman. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, I think that would work. Um, I was going to go with Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth, good choice. I mean, any of the Chris's would be yeah. great. Really, any, any of the Chris's. Of the Chris's like you could put all good. the Marvel actors in a bag and just pick one out. And yeah. it'd be fine. <laughs> like, I'd choose Paul Rudd. That'd be great. Paul Rudd would be good. You know who I actually love, though, and who I want to cast in everything is um, the kid. The kid. He's probably, like, the same age as me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Kelvin, I don't remember his last name. Maybe it's Harrison from Loose. Oh, yeah. Oh. Kevin Will- so Williamson, I think his name is, right? Something. I don't yeah, remember. I just I'm watched. Sorry, I just watched Loose uh, um, a, couple, a couple of weeks ago, and that thing blew my mind. And Waves. Yeah, yeah and I haven't just, seen Waves. He's yet. so mm. talented. Yeah, he's great. I put I, him in there. I loved him in Loose. It was, it was such a smart, calibrated performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, the person I would have put, and it's just my man crush, I guess, is Oscar Isaac. You know, I just think Oscar Isaac draped over the gorilla's body would have been fun. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, just I like Oscar Isaac. Also, he would have been able to to woo him with singing in a good way. So, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, <laughs> no one's wrong. No, no one is wrong. No one's wrong in this, but we are not here to discuss, uh, um, what is it, Co- Queen Gorilla? Uh, Queen Kong? Queen Kong. Queen Kong. Yeah. Um, we are here to discuss Portrait of a Lady on Fire, but before we do that, we have some emails that we want to get to this week. Uh, um, so as always, you can email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up at, on Twitter at onlymoviepod. And uh, we got a review this week. That's uh, not th- an email. That is not an email. Well, actually, this person did email me, oh. and this person has been missing me as well, which I thought was really great. Uh, we got into a little bit of a thing where they were trying to, they, they had heard me on uh, a- CJ Johnson's podcast yes. in Australia yeah, where I was yeah. talking about Asghar Fahadi, and this person happened to be a huge Asghar Fahadi fan, listened to me on that podcast, decided to come along to listen to us on the only podcast uh-huh. movies, then messaged me directly. And we got into a little thing where I think he was trying to test how many movies I knew. Uh, or, oh. or how many movies I'd seen, and I managed to pass the test, which I was very excited about. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's always fun. Yeah, gatekeeping. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he was—he he seemed lovely. Uh, just stumbled upon this podcast when I googled podcast reviews on Asga Fahadi movies, and here I am. I love it, and have been binging five to six episodes a day to catch up. These guys know their films, and Shahir literally knows every single movie I ask him about, and he's obsessed with Fahadi as am I. Keep up the great work, fellas. Oh well, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah no, that is true. You. <laughs> do know you do know quite a bit and i'm i'm glad that uh you are actually internet uh please keep attacking shakir with questions about film if you have questions about uh blue hedgehogs or perhaps any comic book property i'm more than happy to adjust them uh or or just rampant opinions but but specific 
preferably obscure films, you get on Shahir's uh, yeah, DMs yeah. and he'll take care of that. Although there is an email we got later on where I will shamefully uh, reveal a movie that I should have watched that I have not watched. by. And that's book. the second best part, Izzy, because then we get to shame Shahir <laughs> for not Perfect. knowing the one obscure thing that he thinks he should know when in actuality he really should. Oh, it is not obscure and I, okay. I personally should know this film. Uh, one more email from Dan on Birds of Prey. Matt, you want to read this? Sure. Okay. Dan says, Black Mask and Zaz aren't the only queer characters. They were a fun bonus. Harley was confirmed by at the opening, and Renee Montoya is a lesbian interacting with her ex uh, throughout the movie. For me, the representation was amazing. Like, talking about it with friends, we just wanted to see ourselves living our lives in this movie, moving on from our exes, finding a chosen family, and dealing with trauma. Finally, to quote a friend, this movie is for women, the gays, and non-binary pals. This movie was beautiful. Heart, thank you for your time, Dan. Yeah, th- this, uh, I, I agree. <laughs> was, was Harley, was there anything that, now have you, uh, Izzy, have you seen Birds of Prey? I have not seen Birds of Prey. Are you interested to see Birds of Prey at all? I don't know. I feel like everyone I've talked to has either loved it or hated it. Right. So I would be interested in seeing it, I guess. It is worth your time, in my opinion. It is not going to change, especially, it's not going to change your life in any way. It's not going to, but it is one of the best times and one of the most, I think, weirdly, like, both having a high, high form of representation just all over the thing, but also being a bit of a, schlocky film as well which is something that you like when something is done respectfully and the content is still schlock that's not normally what we get and it's something that felt very fresh in that regard yeah um i think the characters are super fun the plot is i mean you everyone at home can go back and listen to the podcast about it but like it's it's a fairly straightforward thing you're not gonna uh, I, be I like i don't think you're missing much by by missing it to be honest it was less of a <laughs> i was less enthused about it right i mean it's a, it, but i think the the thing we talked about on the podcast was that the measure of the interest of it is that it is like acceptably mediocre which I think was like a, a sort of uh, a barometer of cultural change because we weren't talking about it in terms of like female representation and a women directed film with women action heroes. It was just a it was just a fairly run of the mill action movie without you know like when we didn't have to deal with it on those those terms anymore. And I would say as far as action movies go, it is a higher caliber than we are treated to normally for like mid tier action films. Got it. Right. Uh, especially uh, the second half of the movie seems to really like. Really hardcore pickup, and uh, there's some fight scenes in the uh, in the fun house in the in the in the old. Um, I don't know if I'd want to live in this movie. <laughs> I didn't, no, that, that I don't know if I want to live in this world. No, but it seems I, like a it seems like a dangerous place. I love that it existed, and uh, I hate that the media sort of took the box office thing and tried to run with that garbage. We talked about yeah. that last week. There I mean, a- I'm just ready for like a very fun, simple movie because I, I mean, all of the movies for yeah. Oscar season were just so. Bleak. So I was just, you know, you're I just ready. I'm for just it. ready. Like it's, I'm it's ready good, for something. Go dumb. see it. If it's, you're ready for that, go see it. I it's think a good. It's, it's a good February dumping ground movie. All oh, right. <laughs> Every time we're like, this is okay. She was like, ah, it's kind of shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one more email here uh, from Laura, a friend of the show who we haven't heard from in a while. Really look forward to getting her emails. Hi, Laura. Uh, uh, Laura on Portrait of a Lady on Fire says, really looking forward to this review. I adore this film and have seen it in cinemas three times and still leave feeling awestruck. 
every time. It's just so gorgeous. Every shot looks so beautiful. It has so many small moments that just add to the atmosphere. I love the minimal use of music. I think there are three scenes all together, and it is all diegetic. I love this choice. It t- makes those three scenes so powerful. And the last one, which we won't spoil just yet, uh, but Laura uh, signs it off with, are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, something I found I enjoy more with every watch as well is the dialogue. There's not a word wasted. The way these two, uh, the two talk to each other is very playful and sharp-witted, but it feels quite grounded. For a point of discussion, there are quite a few things that reminded me of The Piano, the film by Jane Campion. Um, and I was wondering if you noticed that too and whether you think it's deliberate or drawing implications from the comparison at all. Hope everyone had a great Valentine's Day uh, from your irregular Canberra viewer, Laura. Have you guys seen the piano? A, a while ago. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I, I remember feeling like, oh my God, yeah. when I watched it, but yeah. I don't like remember specifics well enough. Yeah. Can I tell you my secret shame? Oh, is this the thing? Is this, this the thing you were this, talking this about? Is, this is this is the thing. Should we? I am a New Zealander. Sure. Oh God. <laughs> I played basketball with uh, Anna Paquin's dad, and uh, who was a, who was our basketball coach for a little while. Okay. I have not seen the piano. I have not wow. seen the piano. That's a, that, and and then I and I, I emailed Laura and I said I would tell the story on the podcast. Only movie pod on Twitter. <laughs> tell Shahir <laughs> how horrible of a reviewer I, he is. I have seen other Jane Campion films. I really like Hideous Kinky. I really like um, uh, what was the uh, the one with Mark Ruffalo and Meg Ryan in New York City where she's a detective. Uh, anyone anyone remember? No, no. Uh, I'm gonna IMDb that in a second. Um, but my secret shame is I personally insulted Jane Campion over the phone once. Um, and here's how it began. <laughs> I'm sure she will take this to the grave. I'm sure she, I'm sure she yeah, remembers your this, grave. this moment very fondly. Uh, I was an editor in New Zealand. Uh, as I was starting out editing, um, I got a reputation for being um, good at uh, storytelling and visual effects. Right? It was just the thing that I could, I, I you know, uh, more, most editors couldn't do and I could do um, very well. Okay. Um, uh, and I was asked to edit a short film for a director who uh, isn't that well known, but had worked directly with Jane Campion, um, and that was kind of the big draw. You know, like it was the, it was the na- it was the name that was dropped often as I was brought onto the project. Oh, you know, this person works with Jane Campion, sure. so you know, come in and do this thing. So I started cutting this this project. It was I was only meant to be on it for like two days or something like that. It was a short film. Uh, it, it extended out to I think three or four days. And it became very apparent to me as I was working on this project that the uh, person whom I was working with somehow didn't understand how filmmaking, like how editing worked and how filmmaking worked in general. Was this a producer? Or? This, uh, this was a director. Okay. And, and, Someone uh, involved in the film. Like to the point, like, like uh, the best way I can explain it is like uh, imagine there's three scenes in a row. And they would ask me to, to that they didn't like this one scene and could we remove it, please? And I said, okay, cool, I'll remove it. Uh, I'll put these other two scenes, you know, next to each other. And they'd be like, no, 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 don't do that. And I'd be like, oh, okay, what do you want to put in there? And they'd say, no, no, I don't just take that scene out. And I'd be like, oh, okay, I'll take that scene out. <laughs> and then we'd be playing back the movie, and there would just be this black hole yeah. where the where that scene had been removed. And they would stop and go, why is there a black hole there? And I'd be like, well, that's where you asked me to take the scene out. And they're like, yeah, but. Why, I don't understand why these two things haven't joined together. And I was like, but that's what you, you know, and it was, it was a lot of okay. that kind of thing. And I was getting very frustrated on the project. I was getting very, very like, I can't, I, you know, like my tension was getting very, very high. And I think this person started to see that my attention was getting very high and that I was like getting ready to walk off the project pretty quickly. Uh, and then they, so they said, oh, here, uh, uh, let me call, uh, let me call Jane up. And so they called Jane Campion, um, uh, who was at Khan at the 
time. In the Cut was the name of the movie, by the way. Um, <laughs> who called Jane, uh, Jane Campion at the time, who was at Cannes. And they proceeded to do this thing that I think is, is very sort of like, they tried to flatter me over the phone with Jane Campion. It was like, oh, I'm working with this editor. He's so wonderful. You should really talk to him at some point. You know, like he's such a great... And then just like handed me the phone and like put it up to my ear and said, say hi. And I was like, uh, hi. And, and, and she was like, hi, this is Jane. I was like, hi, Jane. And she and she goes, you know, this, they're telling me that you're a very good editor. I was like, yeah. And and then I, I'm like completely running at a blank of like what to say because I have no idea, you know. Like I'm just suddenly on the phone with Jane Campion, and I'm like, and I said, <laughs> and I'd just been teaching a film 101 course where we'd shown Jane Campion's film Sweetie. Uh, I don't know if anyone's seen that. Yeah. And and I said, oh yeah, I was just teaching your film uh, in film school, and the only thing that came to mind. And the only thing I could think to say, and for some reason I said it, was it had more walkouts than any movie I've ever shown in Film 101. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like... <laughs> you don't think she had a sense of humor about that? I don't know why I said it. <laughs> I was like... I was. Really <laughs> I just like... I was just sitting on the phone going, oh God. What did she do? <laughs> she just said, well, that's lovely. Could you pass the phone back, please? <laughs> and I was like, sure thing. <laughs> and I continued to edit the film for, wow. the, for the next two or three days because I was so embarrassed at myself. Okay. That, yeah. Wow. So uh, I haven't seen the piano, and I personally insulted Jane Campion over the phone. Two for two. Two for two. That's Best a, New Zealander ever. Really yeah. uh, high points in my career, <laughs> I would have to say. Um, well, we can't answer your quandary, Laura. I'm terribly sorry. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, does anyone have anything about the piano and got, Portrait of a Lady on Fire? But we got a very nice story out of it uh, of Shahir. Probably better than our analysis. <laughs> <laughs> True. All right, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. What does the IMDb tell us about this? Movie? Oh, well, it has a lot to say, let me tell you. IMDb says, On an isolated island in Brittany at the end of the 18th century, a female painter is obliged to paint a wedding portrait of a young woman. True. I, Accurate. I, I, that's that's a, the most vague description of that movie. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but not, not and also inaccurate. No, right? but also missing the point of yeah. the film. <laughs> like, normally they try to, like, hint at, like, and perhaps something more. Or, like, yeah, something yeah, like yeah. they do a thing like that. But I think they just, uh, they just... <laughs> Run now, this one through. Controversially, this mm. film was uh, was not uh, nominated for Best Foreign Film Oscar, despite having uh, a big lead up to that. And I sure. Think, I think it had to do with the release. Like, apparently, I think this film played fairly poorly in France. Um, I, or, or have you got some? I know that they didn't submit it. Like France didn't submit. They submit. It. They submitted Les Misérables instead, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was like a there was I think there was some technical problem because yeah. it was nominated for ten Cesar Awards, which yeah. is like their Oscars. Yeah. So obviously it people there liked, liked it. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Celine Siama is a well regarded filmmaker in uh, all over the world. Yeah. Um but but this film somehow missed the boat in terms of being nominated for the Oscars. It did get nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Foreign Film, I believe. Mm. Um but but didn't didn't quite uh, for some reason they they dis and and you can see now in the release in America where it came out in February post the Oscars. Yeah. Uh, which is sort of an unusual release date for this for this particular film, especially you'd really want to get it into that Oscar window. Had had have either of you seen films by Celine uh, Siama before? I have not. Yeah, I think I I might have run through most of her filmography right. at this point. Okay, yeah. and I, I've seen Water Lilies, which I think I just watched on Netflix, mm -hmm. you know, without really knowing much about it um, a few years ago, but I haven't seen Tomboy and um, Girlhood, which I think are her two, you know, Girlhood is the big one, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what do you think of her as a filmmaker? 
Oh man, she's a genius in my book. Um, I think she's able to capture something about uh, people ob- ob- observing situations that not many other filmmakers are so capable of doing. Um, there are so many scenes in her movies where you're just watching somebody watch something else happen and seeing how they're kind of absorbing whatever social situation is happening and how they're kind of processing it and how they're going to react to it. And you can see these characters building, even though nothing is really happening or not, they're not saying anything. Um, and she's able to, she works with actors who aren't professional actors. She Mm. works with kids a lot. Um, and still she's able to kind of wrench these wonderful performance out of them. And, uh, it's just incredible. And they're always very touching and complex. I think in this regard, this is the, this is sort of an unusual step away from that because this is a, a much more, uh, a grander scale film than she's normally, and the actresses she's working with are, um, you know, professional actors, including her partner. Ex-partner. Ex-partner. Is, is <laughs> yeah. Tell me what happened. <laughs> I, I don't know what yeah. happened, but I just know <laughs> Was they, it the film? They are no more. <laughs> Who no, gets I the feel... painting? <laughs> Uh-oh. No, I think they broke up like a, a long time, like a while ago. Uh, we are, of course, speaking of uh, Adele uh, Adele Hanel, who was a former partner of the mm-hmm. Celine's. I, I came in like ready to drop that bomb that they were partners, and I thought it was so lovely because there was a photo <laughs> I saw today of them where they were standing on the red carpet with uh, Naomi Merlin. And and their hands were touching, and I was like, "Oh, that's so beautiful." And then uh, outdated no, I, info, she <laughs> so distraught. Really, they're not yeah. partners anymore. Just okay. just collaborators. Yeah. Just collaborators now. Co workers. <laughs> uh, Matt, uh, what did you think of the film? Uh, I had a odd reaction. I think because okay. on the surface, I'm I'm looking at this thing the entirety way through it, and. I am engaged and emotionally moved in in like almost spurts. Mm. Um, particularly, um, just I I really liked and I, I liked Izzy your point about the about like watching someone watch a thing. There was a ton of that, and I actually couldn't put my finger on what I was enjoying about it. But that's one aspect I was thoroughly enjoying. Another one was <clears throat> that it was so. Um, the, the the time these characters had to do the the range of things we'll go through them doing uh, was so finite that it was just like you knew whatever was going to happen had a had a limit and an end and a finality to it and that end was being married off to some dude so literally the only like and I I think this is a pro for this film the only like male representation if at anything is literally just represented kind of by the end times mm-hmm. and like it, like the, like literally moving to the the finish line of a thing and just like well da, 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 da. like it's that like sad like oh fuck <laughs> so like i i loved that about it i loved the friendship actually between the three women mm-hmm. a lot more than i thought i would like the romance is phenomenal there's mm-hmm. no question and uh the ending gut punched me twice which i didn't expect like there's a first bit of the ending where i'm like oh shit and then there's a second bit of it and then i'm like i don't know for i complain about endings a lot and this one i i was worried would not have a satisfying ending for me and it just hit um with all that said i didn't connect with it on a like on an emotional level i got it and it and it hit me but it didn't have a lasting effect on me because it didn't this is going to be weird to say, and I, I, I feel like I 
I don't know why this is. I want to see this movie again to see why I feel this way mm-hmm. because I think it deserves a second viewing. I, I feel like it, it's so good in so many aspects. I feel like I missed something. Right. But I did. I still don't know anything about these characters outside of the situation they are put in. Hmm. And I, when I, for me to be emotionally connected with something. Uh, that's so focused. I also kind of need to know who these people are beyond that part. And I think that's also why I kind of connected with the, the the friendship between them and the maid too, because that felt like something a little bit outside of the love story that let me grasp onto the type of people that these people are. Um, but because of that, I wasn't able to like really, I don't know, like there was something missing for me. Like it's just harder to root for them. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I, like I could root for the experience. I could root for things that I, I could, um, empathize with and sort of put myself in the situation just based on, you know, past romances or, or, or anything like that, life experiences. Uh, and again, the ending is so good. But uh, I just didn't, when I when I left the theater, I was like, why aren't I more pumped about this phenomenal thing I saw? Hmm. And I'm hoping that through this conversation, we can start <laughs> putting little more things in my vague nonsense I just spouted. Right. Um, <laughs> But yeah, who who wants to go? Who wants to go next? <laughs> uh, I'll, I mean, I'll I'll just jump in, which is that uh, I think I was like towards the beginning of the movie. I think I was intellectually moved by the by by the degree of um, I guess the the thing that you were talking about the depth of looking. You know, mm-hmm. the 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 amount of uh, the, the the level with which this detail uh, the, this film was dealing with the detail of looking and what looking meant and 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 you know like it, the classic film studies thing is Laura Mulvey's essay on the male gaze and the, mm-hmm. you know the idea of who is the beholder of the gaze and and that sort of thing is is you know I think it's intellectually worked out through the beginning of this film which is that what does this painting represent in terms of um uh, Eloise's uh, ownership you know like how how does does she does she uh, have agency in the creation of this painting, and and who is the who is the beholder of this painting? You know, right. like the painting is being made in order to um, betroth betroth her to a man whom she's never met, and to you know for whom her sister committed suicide over the same idea. So I think you know intellectually, I think for the beginning of the film, I was just very uh, really interested in the way this film was dealing with point of point of view, and like what does it mean to look at this person, and what does it mean for that person to be looked upon. Um, and I think I think it was just really beautifully executed, but by the by the ba- and the thing that struck me by surprise is that that intellectual curiosity about what the film was doing entirely gave way by the second half of the film to just being emotionally devastated by the loss of this relationship. I was like I was just so distraught by uh, the without spoiling it the appearance of a certain number um, that we see at the end of the at the end of the film in a painting. Uh, I think that that just r- wrecked me emotionally, um, and and it it was it was surprising to me how such a carefully calculated first half of the movie turned into such an emotionally resonant experience for me. It's exquisitely beautiful. It, it's amazing how yeah, as you say, it's a film that you know ostensibly not a lot happens. You know, it's a movie about a painting or about you know like the the process of creating a painting and and but you know like by the end of it i think it gives way to this bigger idea of the great loss because of the way in which society structures itself around patriarchy it's like this amazing turn by the end of the movie Mm. where you know and i think i think um um uh, 
Marianne says this w- one line. Where, you know, she's talking in the middle of the film about how she's not been, uh, she's not allowed to draw male figures. She's not allowed to draw. You know, she's not allowed to draw male male nudes. And and you know, she the uh, Eloise asks her why, and she says it's because women aren't allowed to engage in the great arts. And the thing that I sort of got the the thing that sort of ricked me doubly by the end of this film wasn't just the fact that the Eloise and, and Marianne aren't going to be together and and what a great loss that was of for love but the idea that this 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 amazingly talented thoughtful artist was you know like not going to be one of the greats as we know it mm. and 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 join the, in the club of geniuses join in the club yeah Amy march yeah exactly she's not going to join in the club of geniuses and 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 in the film you know and i think that got me thinking about the idea that that there repression of sexuality repression of femininity as we know it is not just a great loss for those and you know for, for those people it's a great loss for all of us and yep. i think that was the that was the thing that i really walked away from with this film it was like what a terrible loss it is that we live like this um and, and so i mean i was just i was wrecked by the end of this movie i thought it was just so beautiful um yeah it, it and you know vivaldi's uh vivaldi's uh, four seasons at the end i was like man john wick really missed the <laughs> missed the opportunity for the tie-in here <laughs> um yeah it was uh, uh you know wait for number four yeah mm-hmm. I, you know the film uh, i mean laura wrote in and, and asked us about the piano i think the film that i thought about more than the piano was maybe a combination of and and this actually got me thinking about a broader topic of like um, female directors, um, but the films that, the two films that I thought about were uh, James Ivory's uh, The Remains of the Day and Wong Kar Wai's In the Mood for Love, and you know because those are films about repressed love, and and I think th- those are movies that have emotionally devastated me, you know, in my life many times over. But I, I th- I started thinking a lot about like why don't I know a lot? Why why don't I spend as much time knowing or or investing? my time in female directors as much as as much as I do in male directors talking about repression and you know and and that uh, that sort of thing because I think I think ultimately like the great battle or the great sort of civil rights movement of the 21st century is in 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 homosexuality and the idea that homosexuality is entirely repressed and I think that's such a wonderful ground for filmmakers to kind of tackle mm. and I don't know you know and I was like I don't I don't watch a lot of queer cinema and I don't watch a lot of uh, female directed films. And I was like, uh, and I was just, you know, the, I guess the, the conjuring of this idea that there's, there's, there's such an amount of art that has been lost and, and not fully explored. And then I'm not as invested in that. I just kind of started, th- that, that's the way I kind of, if, if, if the lady was on fire at the end of this film, that's the way my brain was on fire at the end of this movie. Anyway. That's right. the line. Yeah. Wow. wow. Put that the on the line. box art. Yeah. <laughs> Pull quote. Wow. Um, I loved this movie. I was so, I mean, it took me a while. Like, I think I had to sit with it for a while because I sort of had that feeling too when I left the theater of like, what do I even think about this movie? Like, <laughs> yeah. there was just so much to absorb. Mm. And um, as I really sat down to think about it, just, I mean, so many things just keep popping into my head about, you know, different subjects that she's tackling. And I think what struck me the most is the amount of world building she sort of went to. And I don't Mm. think that's a word that, or a phrase that would normally be associated with a movie like this, Mm. but I think it applies here (laughs) because she sort of creates this like very specific set of conditions that allows these two people to exist together alone. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, they're on this island. There's no one around except for their friend who yeah. also kind of becomes their equal in a way. Like she uh, sup- she uh, overcomes, I guess, like yeah. the typical maid role. She's not an extra. Yeah. Um, and what that does is it sort of subtracts so much of what society and what other people would impose upon them if they were just living in a, in a normal situation, in a normal city, in a normal suburb, whatever. They don't have to deal with that. And so what that allows them to do and what I think is so refreshing about this movie in the context of like larger queer cinema is that they are not really dealing with repression or oppression. There's, uh, you know, there's the acknowledgement. They know that they're not going to be together forever. This isn't a real sustainable relationship in that way. But they don't have a conversation like, I can't feel this way. Yeah. There's no one dead at the end. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that there's no one. And what I think is also beautiful is the way she sort of makes them equals. They're Mm. intellectual equals. They're emotional equals. Uh, There isn't a pursuer. There isn't a seducer. Yeah. It's that these two people are just coming together and discovering each other in the context of this artistic collaboration. Um, And I thought that that was just so beautiful. And I've never seen anything like that before. Uh, and just because, because it's a lesbian story, it allows for equality in a way that I don't think, Mm. um, other specifically period pieces do. I thought a lot about other love stories that I've seen from that same time period. And I feel like there are so many stock scenes that you could have thrown in. Like there's always that scene where like. They're about to have sex, and the guy like undoes her corset, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and the, that's the repression. It's, like, it's sexy because yeah. he's, you know, whatever. Yeah, and it's just like they didn't have to do that. It was the two of them like have the same like when they kiss for the first time, they pull down their veils the same way. They have to kind of explore each other the same way because they're equals. Yeah, um, and it was just so different and so new and. Um, I think really different for her as well. I mean, you sort of hinted at this earlier. So many of her, her other works aren't really period pieces. No. They're just, um, I guess, all set in modern times. Yeah, yeah. And usually it is that they're, her characters, they're pretty much all like queer themes. Yeah. Her characters are dealing with the taboos and how are they going to navigate like the different parties that they need to either come out to or hide from um, or potentially fall in love with. Yeah. And so this kind of like removed all of that to just explore like, okay, what is it for these two women to be together at this moment and to just like unconditionally respect and love each other. Uh, And I thought that was great. And I just love that aspect of it. There's a quality to, to um, uh, uh, Adele Hanel's performance that, you know, like it's, she has got this face in this movie that is like, it is like made from stone. It is like this, this it's statuesque in every sort of possible capacity. And it's interesting because what happens is that we start thinking about her in the way that Marianne has to think about her in terms of like, well, what is like, what, how do we represent this? How do we put a smile upon this face that is not that that does not want to smile and 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 isn't doing that you know like has a really specific reason that they don't want to be painted and they don't want to have this sort of you know because the painting is representative of this life that they do not want to be part of it's literally the ticket to their forever prison yeah, yeah. And, like and and so the the 
the because like the first time you know like so I, I love in this film that there's sort of like three different paintings and the first painting I was like I was like the, the thing that sort of I walked away from the first painting was like oh she's a pretty good painter you know like she's mm-hmm. you know because because you, you're seeing the entire process from mm-hmm. start to finish you're seeing like the pencil sketching through to the actual like pigments being arranged together and then eventually you get to the face and I was like she did a pretty bang up job and I was like, <laughs> so, and it was like 30 minutes and I was like movie's over good job well, <laughs> no, like, and sorry just to pause on that and one thing I did want to uh, uh, give this film incredible credit for as well is it's very difficult to have a film where one of the main premises or at least one of the main uh, mechanics is an art form mm. and to have that art form be portrayed in a way that be- feels both interesting and you know a little bit sped up because you kind of have to because it's a film especially when it's something meticulous like painting but also like the process at least from a a, a layman looking forward felt so correct it felt procedural it felt procedural it felt like it you know what it felt like and i think maybe we can all relate to this it felt like client work at the very beginning it was (laughs) client work you're like she's like i gotta paint this woman i'm gonna sneak around paint this woman and then like the first one that's what we sort of get and then as it moves forward with the others you kind of get more and more into like you know projects of passion but regardless to portray art being created is so fucking hard and i think this movie yeah. nailed that aspect i think much. especially with painting <laughs> that filmmakers have a tendency to try and like make it really gimmicky and like you know like sw- like swerve yeah, the camera yeah. like, or uh-huh. like it's a paintbrush you know like the and, jackson pollock movie you know that uh, yeah. yeah you know and, and uh, it's just, and she <laughs> would never thank god um it's just like i think procedural procedural is a great word yeah. i gasped out loud when she like brushed away like when she rubbed out her yeah. face in the first time i was like no <laughs> you just spent 30 the movie was over <laughs> it, it was so good and then she like brushes this back and i was like i was distraught because of just how much work she had put into it and how good you know like how much she yeah like from a client point of view i was like you have done the job yep um, yeah. to, to, to go home yeah you've done an excellent job at this no point overtime <laughs> actually you know what I, it's so strange when i knew this movie nailed the art form was early on and it was when she started painting the background of the portrait and the way that they just showed the browns mm. sort of going against the canvas i was like how is this so fucking beautiful that i'm like okay brown all right and i'm like okay i'm gonna watch all these people paint for a while well i think the film goes out of its way to set up like the parameters of what painting means to this character you know like and it's because she has to dive off her you know her boat at the beginning and save her easels you know like it's like it's it's clear what it means and she can't you know like there's that wonderful image of her carrying it up the up the mountain and that sort of thing and that frame with her drying it her and herself and all of her canvases in front of the fire i was like oh it's gonna oh we're gonna oh we're painting with the film too okay we're <laughs> all right we're here sorry i cut you off that was the first painting well no and then like if we t- if we take as like a little side stick into the uh, step into the technical here you know like for this kind of movie i think you know we i mean the, the thing that comes to mind automatically for me is um barry Lyndon and steve you know stanley kubrick's barry Lyndon, and then you know like the famous story with him is that he you know found these nasa lenses that you know mm-hmm. like were if stop 0.6 so <laughs> that he could film inside uh, 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 a country manor side with just candlelight so it was like this really elaborate process and i think she um, talks about that in she, interviews yeah. yeah she talked about how that I, i'm not sure who she talked to oh no it was greta gerwig had talked to steven spielberg before shooting little women and they said that you have to shoot this on film because it's about a period piece but this film is shot in 8k red yeah. you know red, red footage so it's it's using the most advanced technological but in no in a way it kind of treats the image in in a way that means that you'd never think about technology while you're watching this at all and you know like which is funny because when i watch barry linden 
I think about the technology like a lot when I think when I watch that movie. The 8K thing was fascinating when I found it out, and then I kind of deep dived a little bit in to sort of like figure it out. And I was trying to, I was trying because I thought this was shot on film when I watched it. Um, maybe that's just an untrained eye on my part, but like some there's something about 8K, at least so far, and the very in the few things I've seen 8K do, and this is obviously I saw it a down conversion at, at, at a standard. I yeah. saw it at the Angelica. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had the nice rumble of the subway going by every yeah, every ten that's where minutes. I saw it too. Um, but oh man, uh, you guys got to go to the the um, landmark. Uh, landmark yeah. at Sunshine, yeah, it's great. Oh. It's awesome. Yeah. Oh wow, yeah, it's an excellent screen. It was just cool. it was just all the other side of the island, and I was feeling lazy. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but uh, the thing I've been noticing about 8K is when it's down converted, yeah, you can make it look like anything. Like I haven't seen a format. That you're actually able to do that in such a just a clean, in exactly how you put it here. I didn't think about it. I was like, oh, I shot that film. Yeah. Like, and then I found that out. I was like, what? And again, another reason I want to go back and watch it from a technical. I just shot a project in AK um, in New Zealand, and mm-hmm. it was like a it was a, a project set in the woods. Um, so it was like, and I I the problem for me that's really tricky is that. I haven't seen the footage in 8K. Like, there's no way to actually watch it in 8K. Right. So, I, I like, to me, it's just a pain in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, the 8K is like, is like... Listen, from a media <laughs> management standpoint, it's a nightmare. Also, you're going to get producers being like, well, this just means we can sh- we can zoom in on everything. And you're like, yeah. no, that's not what it's fucking here for. Yeah. Especially for her. I mean, she doesn't t- do very many tight shots, I yeah. think. Yeah. And, and I don't... It doesn't seem like she's a... A digital manipulator, so to no. speak, you know, like it feels very much like it's. She framed her shot. This is what she wants the shot. To be. Yeah, this is what it's going to be. Um, but, but, but I think you know one of the qualities of that AK, you know, potentially it's either the AK or I think more. I'm always hesitant to do that because I think it, it actually has more to do with the quality of the eye behind the camera than it has to do with the camera itself. 100 percent. You have to be able to know what you're doing with the tool. I've just that specific yeah. tool. I've noticed it can be very chameleon-like in the right hands. But I think what it. I, I think maybe if I could attribute any quality to the AK, which is something that I, again I've done and I'm not convinced about is that um, you know the amount of detail you can see in the bristles the amount of detail you can see in the actual brush strokes yeah. really matters and it kind of feels important because that is the thing that that is the procedural that we're watching so it's almost like we get to we get to experience it in a in a light that allows us to explore the contours of the paint, yeah. you know, the paint hitting the easel. Like even in the very first frame, uh, or in the in the very first scene when she arrives at the house and the easels are wet, you know, like and just seeing the 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 how much water and like knowing and feeling what that is, I, I think was kind of important to understanding what the entire process of the film was. You know, like I think the procedural is the is the right phrase for this. Mm. But more, I, I think there's another thing that you talked about, which is that the 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 removal of of uh, Eloise's mother. Played by um, the only movie I will know her for forever, and everyone knows this is Hot Shots uh, Part One and Part Two. <laughs> Hot Shots uh, Part Two, Part Two. Uh, <laughs> but Valeria Golino, who is obviously a very you know well-regarded actress who's been around for forever, uh, and it's just, it's funny that it's still the only thing I remember her from. <laughs> um, but it's you know that I think the thing you talk about is that you know. Um, there's a wonderful photo right now of uh, Bong Joon-ho and, and um, Celine Siama like hugging after mm-hmm. the Oscars, and you realize that their film actually, they, both their films would actually make a nice double feature about class, you know, because what happens when the mother leaves is that the class distinction seemed to like meld away entirely, and and you know they, you know, for spoilers now, the maid has to get an abortion, and it's like we get to see this like other world where they are waiting on her, mm-hmm. and and like everyone is invested in everybody else's well-being as opposed to 
you know, like uh, her waiting on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it was just like this really interesting melding away. And I think it, it, it sort of culminates in this beautiful moment where they, without anyone saying it, they all kind of agree that this moment should be painted. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was just like, it was such a, it was such a striking moment because I was like, oh, would that really happen? But they, they, they seem to have like, as soon as the mother had left, they formed this like internal language between themselves that again is just, you know, established just by looking yeah. uh, where there is an agree, you know, there's like a tacit agreement that this needs to be painted. And it, you know, matters in terms of everything that she's saying about like the great arts and the access that she has to painting bodies and that sort of thing. And this is something that nobody else will be able to paint. Mm-hmm. Um, this is such a beautiful like little encapsulation of the bigger ideas that this film has at play that never feel like they're, you know, um, that they're trying to negotiate some sort of complex idea. I don't remember where I read this. I'm paraphrasing some interview mm-hmm. so apologies to whoever actually said this but i think it's an amazing point um is just that she was someone was like walking around an art museum and it's you know all these old portraits and like portraits of people going hunting or like <laughs> making bread and all these things that are like really commonplace yeah and she was like probably the most controversial but also extremely commonplace thing that you never see is a painting of someone having an abortion right because like no one would do that. Yeah. Um, and she just thought like the fact that this film kind of like went there was incredible. Yeah. And I, I agree. I mean, it's, I would never see that in a museum, I think. Or... And that painting will never be shown anywhere. Like yeah. no one will, like the, the, the thing is in the world, in the world, in the world the... that painting will right. never exist. You know, like, so right. it's, and, and that's, that, that's the, the thing I was talking about where there's a sense of loss of, of, of the loss of the kind of art we may have because of the the ideas that we have about repress you know repress sexuality in this world and like what is acceptable and what is not acceptable i think one of the most shocking like i was actually like visibly shocked when when a man appeared in the film <laughs> yeah, like in the like, kitchen where yeah, like, she walks wow. in and, there, and there's a man and i was like is this the guy is this the guy and yeah. i was like i was angry at him all of a sudden but i think it was just it was, he just, was the guy who runs the boat yeah it was just the boat guy <laughs> it was the boat guy was like go up the hill yeah. uh, have you guys ever seen the women uh, From 1939. No, I have not. So I don't believe so. This movie is, I think, it's not the only movie like this, but mm. it's um, it was a major movie that had like every famous person, a famous woman from MGM in it. There is mm. not a single male in the movie. Every animal is a female. <laughs> uh, the entire cast is female. You never see a man. A man never speaks. Right. But I think what is similar about the two of them about these two films specifically is like you never see a man or like anything like that, but they're always present. Right. Everything that's happening is because of some off screen social status or some expectation or some like man who's controlling the situation. Right. And I think it's very similar to this where you, you never see them, but, like it's there and that expectation is like the reality that they have to eventually address. It's right. the inevitability that I was talking about before. Yeah. Like it's that it's that thing. It's like the the things that other films might just go for, like the inevitability of time or like a situation ending or we're like, no, no, no. This is like literally the 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 end point death of what this relationship is is yeah. literally the, the patriarchy. <laughs> like it's like yeah, that's like the what... male the male gaze is a prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of that, sorry, just uh, the the going back to your point, Izzy, about world building too. Uh, the moment I knew, like this sort of that, I think world building is a great way to put it because like it sets up all the things we've talked about: the art, the relationship, the friendships, 
the even the trickery sort of in the beginning of like trying to like I gotta paint you without you knowing it. Like the, all these things are like set up very well. What I really liked about and and in and sort of setting up the stakes that we've talked about with sort of this outside force being men uh, that's eventually going to destroy this entire thing. It's only a matter of time. That being all set up, I thought was exquisitely done when she's talking to the mother doing the sort of like little pre-meet interview mm -hmm. and it's the mother's painting on the wall mm -hmm. uh, for when, when she was young and married to whoever owns this It was her father palace. who painted that painting, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and she was like, I remember walking into my new home and the first thing I saw was me. Yeah. Like displayed, like, and I was just like, oh, like, it, it almost felt like, um... Uh, well, I'm trying to think of that uh, mythological thing that like captures your uh, your essence or something like that, where it's like, <laughs> and you're trapped. Yeah. Like it, but, felt... but the mother doesn't. I think the mother has fully bought into the idea. Oh that no, she has. Just... I mean, she's doing it. She yeah. hired a painter to paint this thing for her daughter, so her daughter get. She's in the system. I'm yeah. not saying that this, yeah. but yeah. like, it's it's that side of the system that is sort of just complicit, being like, yeah, that's how it is. But she, you could tell when she was telling the story. When she related back to when she was young, for a moment, it felt like she was regretful and it was a weird experience. Then she's like, okay, so you're going to pay my daughter. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, uh. mm -hmm. yeah. I don't know. It just, it, that was another sort of world building moment. I like that you brought up that because we always talk about world building mm -hmm. as like, like the MCU Fantasy, yeah. or like just yeah, like, like structuring design. a thing. Yeah. yeah. But that's not what this is about. This is about literally setting up a, a situation uh, to be truthful and and honest and to, to the point of being terrifying and sad um, yeah. can we talk a little bit about uh i mean i know i've kind of mentioned it, but eloise's face it's the, You're going back? well because well, there's a, the the thing that i was like struggling to figure out is that how well she's portraying defiance like how well everything she does in this film is about defiance like there's this quality to the way that she stares at um, Marianne, whenever she doesn't want to be looked at, and it's like it's 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 just like I I, I couldn't quite put my finger on like any other performer. I mean, I, the only person I could kind of think of was Jodie Foster in The Silence of the Lambs. You know, this idea that she understands what the male gaze does to her and and when to like accept it and when to you know when to ignore mm -hmm. it and when to like play into it. And and there's this quality to like Adele Hanel's performance where I was like. I don't know, like she she just seems to be playing defiant so well, and then and then it becomes part of the paintings, you know, like it becomes part of like where how she is portrayed in the paintings, and and like the film is clearly about like how how do I define how you see me, mm. you know, like there, there, there's this, you know, like again we come back to this idea of like who holds the gaze and and who who has control over that gaze, and everything about this about everything about what she's doing in this what i guess it's 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 a you know complicit between the character and the way the story is being told and the performance is about like how do i control the way you see me and the final image you know like the the, the beautiful thing is the final image is she doesn't you know you're sort of exp the, the the final shot is so long that you're expecting the sort of truffaut thing where you know she's going to turn to the camera and she's going to spot uh, marianne for a second or something like that because we know we're clearly seeing her from marianne's point of view but she never does you know like mm -hmm. she just she stays fixed on this thing and it's like we never get to own her look which i think is the the what you know what movies classically do is that we we the the process of filmmaking especially for female performers is that the the camera owns their look um and this is a film where she 
doesn't allow that to happen ever. Even in the moment where I think, you know, she she's kind of joined the the familial structure, um, you know, by having her portrait painted with her daughter. There's like this little, little thing in there that says, no, I still own, you know, part of this world that, that nobody will touch. And it's that it's the number 28, you know, like, um, you know, the, the page that she was drawn upon. And I was just like, I just, this is such a clear understanding of story and performance here. And I, you know, like, I don't know how to, it, I can't think of another film where that's been done this well um, or this eloquently. Um, I mean, either you kind of, the other thing is Orpheus. Like the the Orpheus the Orpheus mythology right, and, right, right. and and the and the final shot where she looks back and she's wearing the dress and the door closes immediately that's mm-hmm. so beautiful. Mm-hmm. I was it's funny those shots of her in the dress and then the the thing both times it happened it was a three peat right three, yeah, yeah. Three peat, yeah the first two times it happened I was like that was those are the only times in this film where I was pulled out. Right. And, I, and the payoff was good. Like I liked it at the end. It all made sense to me. But it was such a different looking and feeling shot from everything else in the film where I was like, huh? It reminded me of like a Bronte story or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think that was while it paid off at the end was one of my sort of least favorite runners, I guess, in this. It just everything else felt so in the moment. And those. You know what moments kind of lifted me out. You know what I liked about that moment is that I thought that the specter of death was hanging over her so much. You know, like we were, ex- I was waiting for the moment that she chooses to commit suicide because she's had enough of this world. You know, like that was going to be her portrayal of defiance. Mm. And so when I saw her for the first time in that dress, I thought it was spectral, you know, like it was like ghostly. Um, and then like the film kind of, you know, you see her wearing the dress at the end, but you know, her mother is putting it on. And to me that I kind of like, those lines kind of started blurring, which is that death to her is the marriage, yeah. and and I think sure. that's where it kind of like played for me is that is that uh, I was I was seeing the symbol and I was changing every time I saw it. And it's not that it's not it's not what I was being shown that I I feel like knocked me out. It was how it was being. Sh- it just I mean I know it was a super post. It, like it felt yeah. that way with the thing and whatnot. But it, it was just the in a film that has so few of those effects. And that it's really a fade. It's not like it's a, an effect yeah. effect, but like it it just felt out of place until the very end for me, where I was like, ah, mm-hmm. like which was very nice, and I was yeah. glad that it was. Uh, I, it, it was one of those things where even though it didn't work for me, it's still a hundred. Like after it was all said and done, and I saw it, I was like, oh, okay, yes, worth yeah. it. I, that is okay. I think I kind of bought into it the first time. Like I bought into it pretty immediately, <laughs> but it like it is kind of visually jarring. I totally <laughs> get that. But I think the reason that it worked for me was because it kind of felt like it was following some sort of horror convention. Yeah. Where, mm-hmm. I mean, it, like, you know, when she comes in that boat and is like carrying this picture up a mountain, like that's the beginning of a haunted house <laughs> yeah, yeah. movie. So it just sort of felt like, like, obviously that story wasn't going to go that route, but it uh, oddly fit in the like genre pocket that yeah. I was familiar with. Yeah. So I was pretty down. Um, but I, totally agree with you on how um Adele's performance sort of plays out I mean I, I think that the role was written like specifically for her yeah, and you yeah. can kind of tell yeah. um because I I've, I've watched like a lot of interviews of them talking and just kind of like being casual around each other yeah and I feel like uh Celine Siyama is like so 
I mean, she must be obviously because they were together, like so aware of like what her strengths are and like this energy that she has. Um, just like as a person, she kind of like swaggers around. She like moves with her shoulders, right? And like, uh, sort she sort of like sits differently every time. She's like very finicky and stuff. Mm. And I just feel like the way that she wrote this like period character who isn't gonna do that, like captures the like fidgety energy that she has and like puts it in this body and like stands it straight up yeah. and says like, okay, how is this person going to like confidently move through this room with this energy of just like, I'm here and like, I need to be in the space and I'm going to control it and whatever. Yeah. And I love how that's sort of redirected into this like relationship that she has said, like she didn't want, Eloise to be a muse like that's not the point yeah, at all yeah, because yeah. that sort of like diminishes what her role is and yeah. it's very it's much it's supposed to be like an equal relationship of the two of them watching each other and her confidence like makes that possible and I loved how that was written yeah I mean there's even the great scene I, I thought at the uh, to the point of having them be equals and it was when they finally the uh, um when she finally realizes that, like, yeah, she's they're both watching each other the exact same amount. Like, first she's like, well, I know that you do this, that, and the other thing, and da 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 Like, ha, ha, ha. Like, I'm the, I, you know, I'm in, con even, it was not even like she was trying to be in control of it, but just that she was like, I got it. And then she's like, no, no, come here. Yeah. And made her stand next to her and looked back at the thing, and she's like, you do this, 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 and this. And you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, two-way street. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought that was very, very good. And yeah. then, I mean, we do have to talk about the music. I mean, we that that scene, that single scene. Uh, I mean, I was uh, the thing I struggled with. I was like, this music doesn't sound like it's from this period, and it's clearly not. It's a it's something much more percussive for one. You know, like the clapping feels very, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, Broadway a little bit. You know, like I was <laughs> like, oh, this is really nice. Uh, but then I I read up about uh, where you know, like so Celine Siama had written this piece of music uh, herself, and she said uh, I'd wrote the la lyrics in Latin. They're saying uh, Fugere non possum. I don't know how to say that in Latin, <laughs> which <laughs> means they come fly, Sitsuyama. It's an ad adaptation of a sentence by uh, Nietzsche, which basically says, the higher we soar, the smaller we appear to those who cannot fly. And I was like, that's such a beautiful sentiment for that for what's happening with those characters um you know and like what's happening with with those two people and like this hidden language that that they kind of i don't think eloise is communicating to marianne by the end of the film but they there is like this you know like imagine never seeing a lover for so long and then seeing this portrait of them and seeing a hint of yourself in that portrait, or yeah. you know, like like this, there's almost this hidden message in that portrait of 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 her to like. I guess it's to you, but maybe it's not even to you. It's just mm -hmm. it's just this thing that she thought of, she thought of me as well. And I was like, I was just so again, I, you know, I feel like I'm just basically throwing superlatives at this movie right now. But oh, I like how that kind of relates to the Orpheus Eurydice yeah. thing because, like, basically they're kind of discussing that situation as like like the lover versus the poet yeah and, and like they've got like, a different interpretation to any interpretation i've ever heard yeah of this, of and that so note. it's like i think i mean i saw this like two months ago so i might be remembering this wrong <laughs> but like they're basically saying he was like trying to preserve a memory yeah and it's like less about her than it is about him yeah than it, he, yeah he, and so he, he says she says he chooses the lovers the lovers ending as opposed to no he chooses poets. the poet's ending instead Where's of the lovers, lovers ending, ending. Yeah, yeah. yeah so and, and I think that's kind of how this yeah. ends because a like the lover's ending would be impossible. But yeah. like, um, I like that because it felt like 
to me, it didn't, I wasn't necessarily like, oh, she's thinking like specifically of Marianne. Like <laughs> I, it felt like she was recalling like this, this moment, like this number represents when I had freedom Yeah, and I don't have that anymore. And like, just thinking about like all of these triggers that just would say like, this was a totally different time of my life. Do you think, do you think if, if they saw each other again, that Eloise would be, I don't know. That they didn't acknowledge each other. <laughs> yeah. Like that, that, that the, the relationship would find a way to rekindle. No, because yeah, I don't, yeah, I, no. I actually don't think it would because no. it, this movie is such a specific, is, is about a specific moment in two to three people's lives. Depending yeah. on how you want to look at it. Yeah. And I don't know how y'all have been in, in relationships, <laughs> especially in, in, in younger years. But like there are times in in relationships that if let let's even even boil it down if to relationships that have had to end due to uh, situations or whatnot, not necessarily like a breakup where one person's like I'm done or two people are like we're done. Yeah. Um, if you've ever gone back and met up with that person again, even for drinks or like just like run into in a group of friends. It's even if you it was the most passionate, like, you know, two weeks of your life. I've never at least been like, oh, I'm in, I'm back in it again. I've, I've, I've only done the thing I think that they sort of reference in the poem, which is like, oh, I remember how I felt back then. Yeah. But also, I'm not in that space. I'm not that well, person. It's not right like now. they, they like, they didn't even leave on bad terms. No, no, no. But I think what's kind of smart about this movie is that it's never unrealistic about re- reality. Yeah. Right. Like it's never they, it never pretends like yeah. they could have this like loving life together outside yeah. of this situation. It's very clear. As, yeah. soon as, as soon as that mother comes back, everything is going back to, to uh-huh. the way right. it was, right? right? Like the maid is now the maid again yeah. and everyone is back to where we were at the beginning of the film. So I think, yeah, I mean, <laughs> in the hypothetical situation, they actually saw each other again. It would be that. It would be like this probably gnawing feeling inside, but also a complete understanding of the reality of their situation. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I think this movie is absolutely um, uh, astounding and beautiful, and and I'm kind of I am sort of perplexed by the you know because it came out it was it was finished last year uh, that it that it wasn't part of you know the last Seems years of, uh, last years you know throw movies that's it I haven't seen Lemon's Lab I, I hear it's very good well but also I think something to consider is Neon yeah because Neon, neon threw put a, literally uh, all its weight behind Parasite yeah so so and this was the this was essentially you know like in a weird way. Yeah. This is the great lost art because of because of the oh. lack of women's uh, of, of stories being told for women. I, I was just like it, it. It struck me as strange. I mean, I no no disrespect to Parasite. Obviously, I you know we know what I what I think of Parasite, but um, yeah. your doubt hates Parasite. <laughs> um, I highly recommend it. I, I don't know how. You, I mean, it seems like you two feel the same way. Yeah, I, I definitely would recommend it. Yeah, I just wanted I, again going back to just a little bit of my like. This is what I like about the movie. It didn't fully connect with me, and I want it to, and I know it can, and that is why I'm going to go back. If right. that make yeah. and that does not happen a ton for me. Yeah, it is. It is. You know, it is a movie in the sort of sense of like it's slight. Yeah, but you can you can feel you can when you're watching it. I think at any level of either just watching a, a thing to be told a story or like actual like real deep dive critique, something's going to get you <laughs> something's going to hook in and even if it the whole thing doesn't click like you know yeah as clean as it possibly does i think this film does offer how do i put it like just uh 
it it invites you back to 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 be like no no like I don't know how to put it just it it invites you back to experience it in the specific way that I think it it I'm butchering this I'm so sorry <laughs> uh I here it is okay sitting down <laughs> you know when, <laughs> I was going to do a food analogy I can't I always do food analogies <laughs> go see this movie you'll find something to like in it even if you don't uh, latch on as hard as I feel like the two of you did initially. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am confident in myself and anyone else who sees this film that if you if you go back, when I go back, I will be in this exact same spot. And I'm interested to see when I do see it again. I wish I had time before this review yeah. to uh, to see what it was that sort of tripped me up, and then how it. it I I am so confident that it will get me past whatever that is. Yeah. You know. What? It, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I mean, for for me, I kind of get where you're coming from Mm. because like my initial when I think about movies that I like put on my best of like love it forever kind of list it's usually not period pieces they're usually pretty chatty yeah um and this is not that so like yeah yeah so you know I think you kind of have to go in with a certain mindset and this certain expectation of like okay I'm gonna be thinking through this and like you really have to try and empathize and put like engage with the movie while you're watching it you can't let it pass through right and i think like i realized that very quickly and like had to sit back up and be like okay (laughs) we are in this yeah (laughs) so like for yeah for me it was kind of a similar thing where i was like okay i need to recharge my brain really quick and yeah. like get into this. All right. Well, you know, you know the thank food, you for, for oh. making me not feel crazy. I appreciate <laughs> no, that. No. Do you know the food analogy that I was thinking of is that when whenever they served food in this movie, the first thing that came to mind and I was like, maybe it's just who's living in America for so long. I was like, there's so little food on their plates. I, I was think, like, I did. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was, and, and I think for your food analogy is that if it was us eating at that table, we would go back for another helping, which is what this movie <laughs> is kind of okay. like, okay. right? Like, I don't ooh. know if it would be what they're specifically eating because nothing that they ate. Well, the bread and cheese looked all right. Bread and cheese looked great. Yeah. I mean, when the they, bread like, cheese and off the loaf. Yeah, I was like, wow. But yeah. I don't know what Good that stew France. was. The stew looked like a beef bourguignon or something like that. Where I was like, it was like a red wine stew or something like that. And I was yeah. like, and just with the with the with the ocean outside and this big house, I was like, that looks hearty. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, ready for it. Um, before we go out, if we uh, and we can cut this out, okay, at this point, but. Uh, because I think you're here and we're kind of done with this movie, if we want to take 20 minutes to talk about Parasite or the Oscars, I think it would be great if we did because you look at the Oscars all the time. Sure. And I would love to take that opportunity <laughs> to are do... We, are we doing bonus bonus length episode? We're doing just like like another 20 minutes or 10, 15 minutes or whatever okay, it is. Okay, well, hold on. I have to do something then. You have, you have to go to the bathroom? Nope. <laughs> uh, this has been the only podcast about the film Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And now... Bonus content. Bonus content. I needed to be, uh, and I'm not cutting any of that out. You're not cutting any of that out. <laughs> no, that's all gonna, staying You're in. just keeping this all in. Because right. because the people d- demand it. The people deserve the right to know. Absolutely. Uh, Izzy, uh, you spend a lot of time looking at the Oscars. I am mm-hmm. very curious, and I'm, I'm glad that you're here so soon after the Oscars, what you thought of the Oscars this year. Listen, I was blown away by the reception Parasite got. Mm. I mean, it was absolutely just what's the what's the word i'm looking for groundbreaking yeah yeah, it literally did uh just becoming the first foreign film so Mm. to speak is there a new word i think it's international film yeah Yeah. uh to win best picture is just incredible and i think it just gave me a lot of confidence i think a lot of times i feel like i spend a lot of time critiquing the academy which 
I'm happy to do. And I love that. (laughs) But I also, you know, I'm very happy that I can spend some time just saying like, wow, good job, guys. Good job. Uh, Thank God. You know, you really made the right decision there. (laughs) Because, I, you know, I didn't meet anyone who disliked Parasite. Yeah. Nobody did. Yeah. And so it just felt so relaxing to just like not have to have this green book moment where everyone like rants on the Internet for three days. And everyone was just very happy. That felt great. But the post parasite, I, I think the post parasite conversation has been really illuminating. So I think one thing that happens every year after the best picture comes out is the best picture usually sparks some kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. For Green Book, it's like the conversation about race and representation and who gets to tell whose stories. And is this just basically, you know, the the old kind of um, trope that we've seen before? Uh, Moonlight was sort of startling and new, and t- but but I feel like that conversation was tarnished by the fact that the the, the La La Land yeah. Moonlight thing, and I and I feel like Moonlight kind of got short shrifted a little bit in terms of like the power of that particular conversation right. could have. Yeah. The conversation post parasite has off it, it, it seemingly in my mind been about subtitles in movies. Yep. It's been yeah. it's been really about like the, and the thing that I've been most surprised by I guess uh is the is the 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 general like the the inability for some people to, to you know, like as Bong Joon-ho called it, you know, get past the one-inch barrier. Mm-hmm. You know, like he described it as the, uh, if you can get past the one-inch barrier of, of subtitles at the bottom of the page, you know, the whole world opens up to you. And this is, and like, I was, it's so prescient that he actually said that because that seems to be a big barrier now. Well, here's, here's <laughs> straight up. And I have no problem saying this. And I, I apologize to everybody out there who might be offended by this, but to not watch a film because it is subtitled is just literally lazy. Yeah. It's, it, there's no other way to put it. And, I and agree. You can come for me too. Actually, don't even bother because I won't yeah, identify yeah. that. But here's, here's, the, here's, the, here's the, the sort of thing about it. I also don't want to discount when someone is in the mood to just have a film wash over them, to throw on an old favorite or something easy to digest. I am the king of easy to digest. Uh, but... But that is I, one of my big staples is always like you need to have a diverse film diet. And the second you cut out a film that is not in your native language and you don't like you if you never feel like reading while you're watching a movie, you are doing a disservice to yourself in a very, very lazy way. And and I'm not saying you got to do it all the time. Uh, you know, you don't have to constantly go to the gym 24 seven either, but it's fucking good for you. <laughs> like, just like, I don't know. It, it, it bugs me when I do. I talk to a lot of people that is like, ah, no. And I'm like, you're being dumb. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, and it, and it sucks. Um, and, it, but that was sort of, the, the, I, I, I loved the happiness Izzy, that you mm-hmm. talked about right after, uh, the Oscars. I also, then of course you get the. Uh, the backlash to to either the the internationalness of it or the subtitleness of it, and yeah. then of course you get the backlash to the back. Like we live in such a time. <laughs> I mean, I just I think we're in an age where everybody has an opinion and has a venue to give that opinion, yeah. and I think like it is the least you can do to inform yourself before you put something out in the world. Yes, and so like. To me, and I think this about film history as well, if you are in a position, like especially critics. <laughs> um, looking at us right now. <laughs> no, 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 you should be. You should be. <laughs> but I think like, you know, if you like write for a major publication or <laughs> you have like some seat of prominence where people are going to look to you to say like what's good and what's bad. If all you're looking at is like films that have come out after, let's say, 1980 from America, you're looking at what 10 percent of all films ever like 
how can you say what's good? Yeah. How can you say like where references come from or like who's being derivative, who's being boring? Like that is literally ludicrous to me. And so I fully agree. I think it's really stupid <laughs> to like just discount these absolutely incredible filmmakers and almost every year at the oscars i think the best the picture foreign, nominees yeah. are worse than, than the, the best, best foreign film yeah, yeah it's almost usually every the, year without without doubt it always usually always happens that way yeah uh, I want to read out just two emails about Parasite uh, just to maybe uh, hopefully broaden that conversation a little bit because this was an email that we got uh, uh, that was disheartened at the wind of Parasite and I and I thought we should take you know we should we should read this okay out. Uh, I'm, this is Chris writing us in for the first time now I'm going to preface this by saying Parasite did make my list of favorites of 2019 I thought it was one of the most original stories totally unpredictable and a movie that still stays with me long after I saw it uh, I also like the fact that one best director and the one best picture uh, the, and I even like the fact that one best picture on some level. Uh, um, but uh, what I disagree with is how everyone is anointing this movie as the best of 2019 and one of the best of the decade. Here's why. The movie is unsettling. There's an uneasiness throughout most of the movie, and maybe it's the ambiguous ethical code of the characters. I found myself not feeling good about the things that were happening in the movie. The main characters act unscrupulously, and, a, and, and that's supposed to be okay because it's being done to a rich family. I, can, I can't get over the experience of the old maid, uh, and again, at this point, we're hoping you've seen Parasite for this. Spoilers uh, for Parasite. I, I, well, okay, I'll try to. I'll try to. I'll no, try no, to do no, this no. on I the think it's we're, I can't, we're there. We're there. I can't get over the experience of the old maid whose husband is trapped at the secret bowels of the house. If the experience of the movie was with her as the central character, this movie becomes horrible. Uh, why do the what they do to her is horrible, and her fate is depressing. Celebrating that is the best of 2019 is wrong. Um, and I prefer movies that have moments of triumph, and I struggle to find any triumph moments in Parasite. I think. This is this is look. This is not the first time I've heard this argument. There's uh there you know one of the unique things about Parasite, or maybe even one of the unique things about what the best picture is supposed to symbolize in general, is that it is you know kind of supposed to be a unifying film. You know, it's like some some way. And 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 one of the interesting things about Parasite is it is ethically ambiguous and almost without a central character. And that is fairly unusual for a best picture win. Um, and and I wondered if this this component, this idea, you know, like it's something that we've talked about on the podcast a few times, but it's this idea of like whether a character needs to be likable or whether the things they do needs to be quote unquote good. Well, first of all, thank you, Chris, for writing in. Um, I think it comes down to your preference for story like i get some things that he is saying mm. I, I don't agree with them on a on a personal level or what i go toward but if we're looking at if best picture is supposed to be a thing that is representative of like a a, a large amount of a uh, group of people's enjoyment or engagement with the film mm -hmm. i think parasite hits that nail on the head Do, or, is any character in parasite fully good or redeemable I would argue no, with maybe the exception of the children, because they might not know better. Like the young children, the, the mm -hmm. children of the of rich the rich family, family maybe. <laughs> I, I don't maybe because it's hard to judge the morality of children based in their thing, yeah. whatever. But but because they are because there's no character that is a paragon of good or sort of evil in that film, it makes them real, and it doesn't make the story. Uh, you know, digestible in three acts, sort of like standardized hero villain, you know, blah, 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 that maybe we we're looking for the catharsis of a thing that makes us feel good sometimes at the end of a story. Um, and those things are sort of specific to the way that I guess Western cinema has sort of taught us that or, or even media in general, like that's how a story goes. 
I think that this film is so effective because despite the fact that it doesn't do that, because of the craft of it, people are still unifying behind it to be like, no, no, this is like, not only does it say something, but the experiences of these characters, all of which, for the most part, are unscrupulous, are not all good or all bad, uh, that people can still sort of see things they can either relate to or even even uh, be uh, disgusted by and still have it connect on such a level, I think, is a testament to the film. I, again, I can't judge what Chris prefers in, in films because that's, that's you know, different folks. But, but uh, I would argue that it is the very things that he's almost positing, at least for me. Are the uh, things that you like. Are, are, well, are the things that do make it best picture. Like... Because because even more so than a standard best, I won't even say standard, old best pictures, because those all followed a trope that we all understood as a, as a, not all of them, but a lot of them did. And now we're at a point where we're like, oh, we can experience stories universally with a few, I would, uh, you know, I'll say extra steps that some people that don't speak Korean have to take and we can experience a story in a brand new way. And I think that's, uh, I think that's really important. I don't really agree with that interpretation of the film, that mm -hmm. they're bad people. Mm -hmm. Like when I was watching Parasite, what I interpreted them, the like, I guess, poor family. Is there yeah. a better way to say yeah, that? Yeah. Less um, fortunate family. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Parasites. <laughs> yeah. So like I what I really liked about the way that he wrote that is that he didn't really make them bad people you don't get a sense that they're like malicious in intent the point is that they're just trying to survive mm. they just need to overcome this horrible economic situation that they're in and the way that they found to do that is like perhaps to do some unscrupulous things but it's not that it's not a means of like they just need to get out their jollies of like screwing over this yeah. family it's that they're they're trying and this is the only way that they know how to like get the only the things that they need just to live and to eat yeah and what's ironic is that like that's a very american principle yeah pulling yourself up by your bootstraps yeah. and like doing what it takes and like clawing your way to the top like that is something we like herald as like this very valuable kind of asset of yeah. getting ahead in like especially in american society yeah what's interesting to me is that you know people are taking that Badly, and I get that because, like, yeah, they like lie, they do some <laughs> stuff with peaches, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, Tomato sauce. <laughs> yeah, uh, but but what I think is interesting is that this movie specifically, um, before and after its win, is getting this criticism in a way that, like, The Irishman is not. Or Goodfellas. Once upon time, yeah. once upon time <laughs> in Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. Like yep. these are all movies filled with complicated people who do a lot of bad things. Brad Pitt just won an Oscar for like, <laughs> like firing, a, <laughs> catching a person on fire. Yeah. Like, or was that? No, that was, was Leo. Leo. Whatever, but whatever. But Brad Pitt slammed he, someone's face into a, uh, a right. ledge. But so it's like I don't know. I feel like this movie is uh, partially. And maybe this is me projecting my political opinions a little bit, but I feel like this film specifically is getting that criticism because of how seduced we are by the rich. Right. And how like we want to give them a break for <laughs> just like, but they're hiring them. It's like we're trickle down, we're giving them jobs. <laughs> like, you know, I I'm I think it's just a very odd thing for that film to get like a morality 
uh, standards set, right. yeah. where the other ones just really aren't. Are you saying that somewhere in film criticism, Izzy, that there might be, and, and please, if I am wrong, <laughs> correct me, a, a double standard of it's sorts? Crazy. It's crazy that like Joker isn't the one we're talking about <laughs> Don't here. worry about it. Joker, fine it's film. Fine. Uh, lots of good messages. Yeah. I, uh, I think, you know, just to... Uh, go back off that point. I think I think the thing that makes this film work is that it is a it's a in terms of the word the word that you used earlier, world building. Is it an it's an effective example of world building where the world is capitalism and mm -hmm. capitalism dictates that these people do the things that they need to do in order to survive. And you know, as you as you put it, it that is the that is the machinations of how anyone you know anyone moves within this world that they have, mm -hmm. um, especially within the situations they have. You know, like they they are never going to be in that house except through the way that they do yeah and and yeah. you know like and that might be unscrupulous but then you know like right it's know. like when i see the character like <laughs> sitting on the toilet as like everything is exploding around yeah. her yeah. and like lighting up a cigarette like do i feel bad yeah. that she like made a fake resume <laughs> no like yeah. i sure yeah. please do that like get out of there you know what i mean like i don't it was a very like sympathetic uh Mystic mishaps, I guess. <laughs> I'm not going to read out this full email, but we did get uh, Jessica Tucker, uh, who's a friend of the show, who's, Jess written, Tucker! who's been on the show many times. Someone we oh, love to have. I'm so, I, I apologize. Jess. I apologize, Jess, that I can't read out this full email, but it's a it is an incredible email that she'd written about. She wrote uh, it. I guarantee you, she wrote it in her notebook first. Oh, and, and it, then she typed with it. That out. beautiful handwriting yes. that she has. Uh, but uh, I'll just read a couple of lines from it. What was most inter interesting to me was how this painted a very full circle portrait of a mim of mimetic desire and mimetic rivalry, something that we deal with in the minutiae of our daily, daily lives. Uh, and she's referring to uh, philosopher René Jouard uh, and basically what it means that is our desire is given to us by other people and we learn to desire by mimicking other people's desires, passing on sort of like a parasite. Jouard mm -hmm. uh, even describes the desire as the most virulent mimetic path uh, pathogen and this idea simply stated means that if two men desire the same thing, which nevertheless they cannot both enjoy, they become enemies. And I think like, I, you know, just uh, wrote this beautiful email. I would love to get, you know, I would love to talk more about Parasite and the response to Parasite. I think Chris's email is an interesting thing because I think the, what, what you said is correct, which is that the things Chris is talking about in that email are the things that actually make me love the movie. Yeah. It's, mm -hmm. it's the thing that actually makes the movie such a such a wonderful choice for Best Picture. Well, first, mm -hmm. Jess Tucker, what are you doing in LA? Come back to New York. Yeah. Two, um, as far as, as Chris's email is concerned, I'm very glad that you read it out because I don't want to – I hope it didn't come across at all that I'm maligning sort of uh, Chris or anyone's taste in in the style of a story being told. Yeah. yeah. And for me, I often find that the style that I want actually comes based on mood and a couple other things. Um, and for instance, like – if you were to ask me what style of story that like I kind of resonate toward on, on average or what I look for in a fun sort of good time or even just sort of like uh, a, a general film – what Chris has described of like having you know a very a little bit clearer sort of like oh, okay well this is a morally just decision or person this is a little bit of an ill conceived uh, notion or villainous act that is something that I am I, that is a space I am comfortable in mm. and I enjoy films that structure themselves that way I I feel like I've been I was weaned on them I <laughs> I was uh, I was born in it raised in it I didn't see other films <laughs> until I was already a man, a man. <laughs> um, but uh, the the but again, I have to go back to my original point where 
I have even found, even in those stories that I've described, really even enjoying those style of stories when also presented with other variations of storytelling that I that I also you can see, especially when done as well as Parasite is done, uh, when when the two sort of things are put next to each other, and I'm like, oh, like it opens up a thing. Yeah. And uh, I just I hope that more people are open to stepping outside of their cinematic comfort zones, be it to read a subtitle yeah. or or even just uh, even go watch a film that um, you might not be in your general wheelhouse. I remember it's something I actually thought of a little bit about this uh, when I went seeing Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I went back a little bit to Call Me By Your Name. Mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out like because I those were this was during my time of like why aren't I connecting with these characters? Oh, maybe it's because I don't know who they are. Like I felt I really knew the characters in Call Me By Your Name based mm-hmm. on a couple different outside things. Whatever, it doesn't matter. But Call Me By Your Name was not a film that I in my standard wheelhouse would resonate toward. And I find myself still thinking about that movie. And I'm like, I'm so glad that, you know, I saw this film because it helps me contextualize everything else. So my point is, uh, Chris, you are not wrong. And I'm glad that you sent in your thing. However, uh, I hope that you give more and more films like Parasite um, or, or things that are differently structured than a standard film fair uh, chance because it will make you like even your favorite stuff, I think, even more in a weird way. Hmm. And also there's more than one movie in the world. so not There everything. is not. <laughs> it is Sonic the Hedgehog, number one film in the world right now. Yeah. We had a poll on Twitter. It's funny because right. Shahir put the poll out early, and we actually said in the episode because uh, I, I was just a hundred percent certain I know. that between Portrait of a Lady on Fire and Sonic the Hedgehog, Sonic, Sonic the Hedgehog is going to win on those. But here's Twitter. the thing: on our in our episode, we actually told people Izzy to vote for Portrait of a Lady on Fire. We're, like, we're going <laughs> to put this poll out. Vote for it. But then Shahir mm-hmm. put out <laughs> the poll before our episode came out. And then excited. we're like, oh no. It's Sonic. And but it no. wasn't. No. Portrait okay. of a Lady on Fire was like seventy percent. Yeah. Yeah. So then, and this is the thing. When we did when we did our Oscar ballots, I had Parasite as my pick. And then I I oh, yeah, I think it. I I I lost faith and I thought, well, I think it's gonna go to nineteen seventeen. I think the, the whole thing's kinda gearing yeah. towards nineteen seventeen. If you know, nineteen seventeen is probably the pick. So I, I just like I changed it. But it was like you said, it was kind of like reinvigorating. You're like, oh, Maybe the world will I be know, the way I think it's going to be. Crazy. I think the preferential ballot really helped too. Yeah, I can imagine that like a lot of people had different number ones, but everyone had, had Parasite number yeah. one, yeah. number two. Yeah. Exactly, and that kind of put it threw it over the edge. Yeah. I am I am a fan of that voting structure uh, in most things. <laughs> yeah. well, then we get a green book. Izzy, no, <laughs> no. Thank you so much for coming along. Yeah, thank um, you. Of course. Please, thank you. everybody, go to Be Kind Rewind on YouTube to see some fantastic video essays about the Oscars and women in Hollywood. Um, where can people find you other than that? Or well, what are some other things we can look forward to uh, on the channel? Ooh. Um, I'm going to know on Saturday what the new topic is. I've just oh. been taking it easy since yeah. I released Jessica Lang. So is it I Sonic the Hedgehog? No idea. Please. It is. No. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to spill, but it has to do with a blue hedgehog. I gotta go fast. <laughs> and is there anywhere else people can find you, re- uh, reach out to you uh, yeah. if they love your work? Uh, I'm BK Rewind on Twitter. Mm. And I think I'm BK underscore Rewind on Instagram. I think. 
You think? All my content looks the same. You'll find it. <laughs> it's fantastic work. Uh, also, uh, once, once you uh, check out Izzy's stuff and the YouTube channel, uh, I'm going to say to do this, but you'll probably do it anyway. Uh, please visit her Patreon because uh, yeah. that content <laughs> is well worth it. And you 100% should be throwing a couple bucks her way because it is great. Um, yeah. Uh, what are we doing next week? Are we doing? No, we're not doing the blue hedgehog. The blue hedgehog has so. run away. I, I, so I don't think yeah, there's. I enough, have a pitch. I don't I think there's think. enough to talk about with Sonic, despite the fact I will see it because I love Jim Carrey. You know <laughs> what I discovered the other day is Takeshi Miike's film First Love is streaming on Amazon Prime. Really? Yeah. Wait, have you guys seen Transit? No, no. the Christian Petzold film. My second favorite film of I'll last be, year. Wow. And it's streaming now on Amazon Prime it's as on well. Prime, there's, yeah. there's a lot of stuff on Prime right now, uh, and like you know, we talked about February being the dumping ground. And so maybe it's time to like swim away from the maybe. cinema. Maybe we'll have to we'll have to take a look. You know what? It's funny, and I don't know if it's worth the time yet. But there was something, and I know we don't do television shows, uh, and we probably won't do this. But when I watched the first episode, I was like, if this proje- uh, trajectory goes well, I'm like, this would be something I'd want to talk about. Uh, Lock and Key okay. just came out on Netflix. I don't know if either of you are familiar with that property. No. I know you have dressed up. It is my <laughs> yes, I have as as uh, as Dodge, but the it is my it is my favorite graphic novel of all time. Oh, cool. And the pilot, it had a pilot that I think CBS had for a bit, and that tanked. But the the original creators are involved in this one on Netflix. The pilot of this one is not without its flaws, but it's getting the things it needs to get right early, right? And cool. I was just like, oh shit, like maybe <laughs> like this is the kind of thing that once we get off our asses. Uh, and we start a Patreon. a Patreon. We could yeah. do like extra things like that. Like so. Anyway, I would uh, just check that out and, and, and tweet at me. Uh, oh yeah. Well, Shahir, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to our stuff now. Sorry. <laughs> when you are not uh, walking past a fire uh, and catching your sweatpants, <laughs> I guess you're wearing right now. <laughs> see, uh, in the place? movie, in the movie, it was an amazing moment. With me, it's like you see this idiot on fire, and you're like, you, Jesus, uh, you can find me stumbling over myself and tripping over my shoelaces into a fire at my <laughs> website, www.shahirdaud.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Matt, when you are consuming the meals of two to three women on an island, where can people find you? You can find me cleaning plates <laughs> at uh, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram or P-S-N or Emperor M-S-K on Twitter. My names are not <laughs> succinct whatsoever. Tweet at me about Lock and Key because I want to talk to some people about it. Tweet uh, me about transit, please. There you I, go. I, I, I need transit. more see people who have seen this movie. I haven't. Seen, you know, I've seen one other Pelzold film. I can't remember which one it was. I think it was um, uh, Phoenix. It was yes. That? yes, I've seen Phoenix. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, and with that, I'm going to go feed my very mouthy cat Zoe, <laughs> who apparently has a lot of thoughts that we just can't understand. Uh, maybe we should get she some subtitles. Is a lady on fire right now, in mainly because she's hungry. She's in Chateau Jeez. Sequel. All right. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening. Bye.